What are three big things to do to prepare for medical school? How does being involved in athletics help you prepare? What is the attraction to family medicine? What is the benefit of a training in a rural place versus training somewhere else with a much higher patient volume? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Elin, a third-year student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Okay, well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I've got a great guest today, Elin. Hello, Elin. Hi, Dr. Chan. Uh, so, middle of third year. Yes. Uh, what have you done? I started with OB um, and then did a surgery rotation and medicine. And now I'm on the end of my first week of pediatrics. So let's talk about OBGYN. Okay. It sounds like you front-loaded your schedule. Was that on purpose? It was a little bit. Um, I started with OB because I thought that I didn't want to do it, Mm -hmm. um, to be very honest. And I also wanted a little bit of surgery exposure before I did my surgery rotation. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of my thought process for putting OB first. Now, when I say front-loaded, I mean that stu- the, the OB, GYN, and surgery are known to be the most intense, the most hours inside the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when third years create their schedules, there's sometimes strategies involved. So I'm sorry for interrupting. Go oh, on. Oh, no, Get that's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it did work out that way in the mm-hmm. sense that um, it was nice with OB because you're that's the earliest I've had to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting with that, it just felt like that was sort of the norm. Um, how, how, how early were you getting to the hospital? You start at five on labor and delivery. So, so you, you start rounds at five or you got there at five? Um, we usually rolled in about four forty-five and okay. kind of skimmed through the notes really quick, looked at the patient list, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of met as a team and left to pre-round, um, at five. Mm-hmm. So what'd you like better? The OB, which is three weeks or the gynecology, which was three weeks, which was your favorite? I loved the OB. Okay. Um, and you're, you're on labor and delivery the whole time, mm-hmm. um, and there's How many a, babies did you deliver? Um, I would say I probably did at least 10 a week. 10 was a very low week. Okay. Probably more than that. Awesome. Um, I didn't keep exact count. Did the families ever turn to you and say, you did such a good job. We're going to name our child Elin. <laughs> no, okay. they did not. Okay. It's too bad. That would have been awesome because there's not, there's not a lot of Elins running around the planet. It's a, no. it's a unique first name. So, yes, okay. it is. All right. Yes. So like the miracle char- childbirth, totally awesome. Um, it's pretty cool. It's, okay. It's cool as a medical student because, you know, it's a very private moment. Um, Mm -hmm. And at least with my experience, patients were very willing to let you in on that and let you help. And, you know, you weren't so you weren't just standing there watching people let you help deliver their child, which Mm. is um, a really cool gift. It's a really cool experience. Um, And I also sort of feel that as a doctor, if, you know, you're stuck on a train somewhere and someone says, help, she's going into labor, Mm -hmm. um, that you should be able to help with that. Uh, it's not as likely to be on a train. Right. In this okay. day and age, we're talking about planes. Yeah, so plane. I don't know. I look forward to the day space. when you're like 30,000 feet <laughs> in the air and the little call button goes on and the flight attendant says, is there anyone that can help deliver a baby? And you can push the call button. So. Hopefully. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun um, and a lot of experience, hands-on experience for my so students. For, so it's like managing your time and getting prepared mentally and physically. I mean, did you do anything? I mean – so what time were you getting home from the – I mean, how did you go through that experience? I mean, did, were you just sleeping a lot or did you still have time to exercise or how did you do it? Um, it's a balancing act. Okay. Um, you have a lot less time than you do in the first two years, mm-hmm. which is funny because in the first two years, I felt like I was so busy and 
in retrospect now, I don't know what I did with all my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I would say on labor and delivery, um, a fairly typical day was that you, you know, rolled into the hospital at 4.45 or some 5 o'clock around mm-hmm. there. Um, and then sign out in the evening was at 5.30. Okay. Um, by the time sign out was over, it was usually around six. So it was pretty much five to six. Mm-hmm. Um, some days if you, if you were in the middle of a delivery at the time of sign out, um, I always just kind of stayed until the baby was delivered because mm-hmm. you know, like what you're going to leave at the yep. climax of the action. Yeah. Um, but, um, a lot of times, um, things start to go out the door. So mm-hmm. you eat a little more box dinners, um, sure. you exercise a little less, um, the studying gets more interesting because yeah, like how do you find time to read about your cases and yeah. learn about all those like fun topics like placenta previa and mm-hmm. accreta and all those? Yeah, how do you do that? Um, some of it is sort of prompted by things that you see, mm-hmm. and you're like, man, I don't know anything about this. I better you know read about it. Some of it is sort of in real time, so you have a second between patients. You look some stuff up as fa- you know, kind of as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of kind of on the job learning at things that you see. Um, it's a, you have less, you know, straight dedicated study time as well. Um, I would say that I did a lot of, I did a lot of reading while eating breakfast in the morning before work. Um, I did a lot of reading while eating dinner Mm -hmm. at night. Um, but you don't, you don't have those big, you know, four hour chunks of studying, or at least I didn't because I'm a fairly sleep dependent person. So, Mm -hmm. so if you're you're going in at four forty five, getting up at four, four thirty. Um, I, the nice thing about getting up that early for labor and delivery is that you wear scrubs. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's <laughs> out of the bed. Yep, yeah. pretty much. There's no concern <laughs> yeah. about, you know, Oh gosh, mm-hmm. does my, does my top match my belt or whatever? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I usually was up at four, okay. um, you know, but it was definitely one of those like shower the night before, um, kind of streamline your, you know, lunch is already packed, streamline mm-hmm. your morning. Not a lot of traffic. No, that's that very nice. Parking's pretty mm-hmm. good spots to get yep. in parking. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy. There's no one else on the road. There's mm-hmm. no one else in the parking lot. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. I don't, I miss that. All right. So that was OBGYN mm-hmm. and the next was surgery. Yes. What, what types of surgery? Is it general surgery or what did you do? It depends. Um, so for the surgery block, you have, let's see here. You have four weeks of sort of a general surgery um, rotation. So I did mine at the VA, just general mm-hmm. surgery. Um, and then you have two weeks of outpatient, not outpatient, but um, community um, community work. You're, kind so of like follow-up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're working with a community surgeon, and so you kind of do surgeries with them, but you also do clinic with them. Mm-hmm. So you see their, their follow-up patients. You see their pre-op patients. Um, so it gives you a little bit more of a scope of... Um, outpatient surgery more so. Um, and then you end with, or end with another two weeks of subspecialty surgery. So mm-hmm. I did mine at the, um, here at the U with the trauma and emergency surgery service. Okay. So. Now you originally said that ob was first because you, you wanted it to help prepare you for your surgery rotation. Mm-hmm. Did that turn out to be true? I think so. I okay. mean, in terms of surgical technique and stuff, you sort of have a better sense of what you're looking at as you're watching a surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I was also nervous about scrubbing in, where do I stand? Mm -hmm. What can I touch? Um, that kind of stuff. And after doing OB, um, you're in the OR a lot. And Mm -hmm. I, so by the time I hit surgery, I knew how to scrub in. Um, The scrub nurse was not yelling at you. Right. Right. Giving you a hard time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I knew what I could touch. I knew how to be helpful and Mm -hmm. you know, so 
it was helpful in that sense. Did you get to assist a lot? I mean, like mm-hmm. hold retractors or did you get to suture up and or did you actually get to use the bovie and cut? I mean, like what, what, what were the scope of your responsibilities? All of the above, really. Okay. Um, I got to do a little bit more when I was on the out, um, the outside hospital mm-hmm. um, with the surgeon at the outside hospital. Um, and that was sort of because he had a little more leeway in um, determining what students were allowed to do. Um, but I mean, I still got to, I got to do a lot in terms of, um, closing up, you get to practice your suturing, mm-hmm. um, you definitely hold retractors. Um, but I had heard hordes, horror stories kind of about, oh, I held the retractor for six hours and wasn't allowed to move. And, mm-hmm. um, and I never personally had that experience. So. Yeah. There is that stereotype that surgery rotations tend to be the toughest as far mm-hmm. as hours and lifestyle. And then fair or not, there is this kind of image of surgeons being more brusque and mm-hmm. not as good teachers. Was that true for you or or what, were, what was your experience? I would say it varies. I mean, just like with any specialty, um, mm-hmm. it's harder to in surgery because you're sort of, you know, the surgeon has about 14,000 things on his mind. And if you're the 14,000 and first mm-hmm. thing, um, you might not get as much teaching, but a lot of a lot of the surgeons that I worked with were really open to letting students help. They were really open to questions. Um, maybe not all the time right in the middle of surgery, but if you asked questions beforehand or after, a lot of times they were more than happy to answer. Um, I think I think one thing that I was cautious about in the OR was waiting until I was told to do something because you don't want to stick your hand in the middle of a surgical field and mm-hmm. you know stick your hand in right where someone's going with a needle or something like that. So... I was a little more cautious about that, but, um, in terms of teaching, um, I think it, it varies from person to person. Yeah. One of the most favorite moments or experience I had during my surgery rotation is I really enjoyed it. Like after the surgery is done, depending, no matter how long it is, uh, the surgeon goes out and talks to the family Mm -hmm. in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. And I have some really powerful memories because, you know, sometimes the surgery didn't go very well or they discovered something that was not good news. Um, and just going out, talking to the families in those little, little family consultation rooms and just kind of reviewing what happened and how the surgeon explained certain concepts. I just, I just kind of enjoyed that to me. It kind of Mm -hmm. completed the picture. And I, you know, we have this image of surgeons just kind of doing the surgery and doing the cutting and then doing the sewing up, but there's this like other component about kind of looping in the family and telling them what happened and, and then the follow-up. So mm-hmm. did you have the similar experience? Or? I did. Um, I mean, I was, I mean, I say that I was fortunate, but really the patients were fortunate in the sense that in my eight weeks on surgery, I didn't really see anything horribly catastrophic happen in the OR. Um, even with trauma surgery, even with trauma. Interesting. Um, That's good. Yeah. There were a couple rough things that came into the ER, mm. um, that didn't, didn't make it to the OR. Yeah. Like um, motor vehicle accidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wear your seatbelt, everyone. Wear your yeah. seatbelt. Yeah. Seatbelts. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I would, I would probably personally not vote for a motorcycle, but that's just me. Um, wear your helmets. If you do choose to mm-hmm. wear a uh, drive a motorcycle, very much yeah. wear your helmets. Um, but I did have a lot of experiences where I did get to kind of follow, follow the surgeon out and meet with the family. Um, and, and those were very interesting. They were, um, interesting conversations. It's always interesting to, um, how different, how differently families respond and how mm-hmm. the surgeon, um, any physician really has to kind of adapt their style to the family's reaction and the family's education level. And, 
Um, How many family members are in the room mm-hmm. and people who are a little yeah. bit more aggressive in their questioning yes. versus the people who are actually, you know, primary family members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting dynamic. It very yeah. much is. So, all right. So surgery and then what was next? Medicine. Internal medicine. Mm-hmm. And where did you do that? I also did that at the VA. Okay. So medicine is also divided similarly to surgery in that you do four weeks of general um, inpatient internal medicine and then you do two weeks of outpatient um, and then two weeks of subspecialty. And mm. so I did my um, my main internal medicine component was at the VA. And then outpatient, I was with a GI specialist. Um, he's actually triple board certified in liver and mm. GI um, and internal medicine. So I got to see a lot in the two weeks that I was with him. Cool. Um, and then I was up at the Huntsman Cancer Center for the last two weeks. What would you say is the biggest difference between internal medicine and surgery? I would say the scope of the scope of problems, the scope of things that you're focused on. Mm. Um, in surgery, things are very centered around either does this patient need surgery? Is this a surgical problem? Can this patient safely be taken to surgery? What are going to be the outcomes based on this person's medical history of the surgery that we expect? What are complications that we expect? Um, so everything is sort of focused on the surgical as it, I mean, obviously as it should be for a surgical rotation for a surgical specialist. Um, in internal medicine, it's challenging because really everything is sort of your concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also cool because you get to see how different body systems interact with each other. And so, oh, this patient has sleep apnea, but they don't want to wear their CPAP. So now they have lung disease and they also have heart disease from their, and it's all from their sleep apnea and, it all just it all interconnects, um, which I found very satisfying mm-hmm. um, intellectually. Good. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've heard that with internal medicine, it's a lot more talking and thinking, mm-hmm. not as many procedures, obviously, as surgery. Surgery, I, I, I remember, is a little bit more fast paced. Yes. Kind of different life, yes. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, very much so. Which, which one, so that sounds like you like the internal medicine I did. pace better? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I liked the internal medicine pace. Um, I liked sort of the investigation um, of, oh, a patient comes in and he's short of breath and has really swollen legs. And this sort of sounds like heart failure with fluid overload, but maybe it's not, maybe it's something else. And you know, how do we, how do we figure that out? How do we work that up? Um, and on surgery, a lot of things were a little more straightforward. It was, you know, every time I eat a cheeseburger, I have right upper quadrant pain and (laughs) it lasts for a few hours. And And I don't think it's the cheeseburger. Right, right, right. (laughs) I think it's my body. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I, I did like the investigation. I liked the pace a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my good friends in my class who is very much interested in surgery was telling me beforehand, he did medicine before I did, um, you know, he was like, you just sit around and you talk about things and you just don't make a decision. And <laughs> it really drove him nuts. And mm-hmm. um, and I was the opposite. I loved that of kind of discussing, well, it could be this or it could be this. How can you tell? Mm-hmm. So That's awesome. So, Lynn, I'm not going to hold you to this, but as of today... What was what your path? Have you thought about what field? Are you still, is everything still up in the air? You I'm know, not going to hold you to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're about halfway through the third year. I would say probably where I'm headed is family medicine. Okay. Um, and that really hasn't changed from before medical school, but it's sort of been reinforced in the sense that I loved OB. I thought it was really fun. Um, I, I enjoyed Gyne too, but I really mm. loved delivering babies. That was it's very fun. Yeah. Um, you can't see this at home, but every time you mention the babies, your eyes twinkle, <laughs> they sparkle just a little bit. Yeah. It, it's a lot of fun. It's mm-hmm. a really 
pretty special experience. Um, but I loved that. I don't know that I only loved that. I had a hard time with OB that you, you know, you monitor this baby for nine months and, mm-hmm. and then you deliver it and hand it off to the pediatrician and you never deal with it again. You're like, oh, I want to go down that hallway yeah, with the baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. had a hard time with that. The little um, magical window where they pass the baby through. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I had a hard time with, on medicine with, there are no kids, mm-hmm. you know, by definition. Um, currently I'm on peds and sort of have a hard time with, um, I mean, I like talking to the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to talk to the kids and the adolescents and, um, but I enjoy talking to older people as well. So to me, that's a fairly good indication that, um, that family medicine, I, I'm just not narrow minded enough, not narrow minded enough, but focused enough. You maybe. want a broad spectrum mm-hmm. of diseases and conditions as well as broad spectrum patient ages mm-hmm. lifespan. Yes. Essence, yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, I want to do everything. Okay. Well, I know <laughs> I first, when I first met you over two years ago, God, time flies. You had talked about family medicine. It's good mm-hmm. to see that's, that still is a constant, but a few more months to go during third year. Yes. So. Yeah. Lots then of you get experiences. To get, uh, residency applications. You get to get, get to do that. So. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy how fast that comes up because mm-hmm. you think, Oh, you know, fourth year, but it's really, you know, it's less than a year from now. It's at the beginning of your fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, if you listen to listen to the word on the street, I, sh- you know, you should have sort of an idea in the next few months. Yeah. So. Well, let's take a step back because I think there's a lot of people listening to this who are thinking about going to medical school or trying to get their applications ready. What advice would you give? What helped you through the process? What did you do that set you apart? Um, I'm just kind of throw that out there. Sure. Um, I would say three big things. Um, Ooh, I like it. Numbers. Yeah. Numbers. Yeah. Um, the first I would say, and this is, you know, anyone really who's thinking pre-medicine probably is like, well, duh. Um, but the first really is hard work. It's um, the pre-medicine path is not easy. Medical school path is not easy. Um, and at least for me, as much as I heard as an undergrad, oh, medical school is hard. Medical school is hard. I don't think I really had a great grasp of um, how hard it is. It's, so it was hard. It was, it's hard. Okay. Um, and not so much in the, the concepts, but in the, the number of things that you have. The amount of material. Yeah. The yeah. amount of material. Um, and I know I'm not saying anything new there. Mm-hmm. People that's been well. People talk about the fire hydrant concept. Yes. Do you mm-hmm. agree or disagree with that metaphor? I agree. Okay. Um, but the water, when it gushes out, you mm-hmm. have to try to drink it and yes, get yeah. your entire mouth around it. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always something that slips through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think being comfortable with that idea, being comfortable with the idea that, you know, oh, your friends are going to go out to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the football game and you might have to roll in late or you might have to skip this one. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, it's fun and it's worth it. Um, so number one, it's number hard. one, it's hard, hard work. Mm-hmm. Be ready to work. Um, number two, I would say, is to find a mentor. Um, and that was something that I didn't really catch on to early. Um, I was sort of. In medical school or before medical school? Before medical school. Okay. So for for applying, really find somebody who can guide you. And whether that's a current medical student, um, somebody who's involved in admissions either at the uh, medical school level or in your um, undergrad. Someone pre-med who's, office. Yep, yeah, a pre-med advisor. Um, because I didn't really do that. And so I um, had an initial round of applications my first year, of, um, my last year of undergrad. And was unsuccessful and didn't really think to plug into my um, undergrad advisor until one of my friends was like, well, why haven't you spoken to this advisor? Um, so as much as that seems like an obvious statement as well, plug in with somebody that um, that knows what they're doing. 
because they they help you with you know essays with where to apply with they can point out strengths and weaknesses in your application and um, you went to college of idaho i did and we're yes. talking ancoga right yes we ancoga, are we love you yes shout out to ancoga yes yeah. dr koga is my hero mm-hmm. um even so you did plug into her office. i did okay. yeah but it took me a year okay um she, she was, was like how come i've never seen you before <laughs> yeah well i mean i had had her for classes but okay. she was the one actually who was like well why haven't you applied to university of utah before and I was like, oh, I, I think their application process is too hard. And I didn't have a good answer, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was really the one who was like. That's really ironic <laughs> how it turned out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it very much is because, and oh. I mean, that's a perfect example mm-hmm. of I thought I was decidedly not qualified for this school. Mm-hmm. And she was the one who took a look at my, you know, my application and my CV and was like, why have you not done this? So um, a good advisor can really put you on the right track. Mm-hmm. Very much. Um, so that was number two, number two. Um, the third thing I would say is that, um, there's always this sense, or at least there was when I was applying of, you know, what to do to be the perfect pre-medicine, pre-medicine applicant. Um, and there are definitely prerequisites that you need to fulfill and, um, boxes that you need checked off and you need volunteer hours and you need shadowing hours. Um, and you need, you know, you do need the MCAT score. Um, that being said, I know a fair number of people who I went to undergrad with who, um, you know, were really into, say, the pre-medicine club at my undergrad. I was never a member of that because I never really felt that passionate about it. Um, and so when I was looking at baseline things, I was really worried that, oh, I didn't belong to the pre-med club. Maybe that's going to hurt my application. But I spent my time doing things that mattered to me. And in the end, I think that's really what admissions committees they want to know you when you're applying. They mm-hmm. want to see who you are because there isn't a pre-med club in medical school, but your other passions and interests might still carry over. And those are the things that make you a person. I like and that. I like that. That's what, that's what patients want. They want to talk to a person. There's a lot of difference doing interest groups. Mm-hmm. You're correct. But yeah, there's, that'd be kind of weird if there was a pre-med club within medical Yes, school. it would be strange. What were some of your passions? What were some of your activities? Before you applied. Um, I mean, what were you doing back then? What was I doing back in the day? Mm-hmm. It's strange. It seems like it was a long time ago. Um, one of the big things that I did all through my undergrad career was that I ran cross country and track. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, it's like, oh, athletics, how does that really, um, you know, prepare you as opposed to a pre-medicine club that puts you in touch with medical schools and, you know, you go on tours and you talk to admissions advisors and um but I think athletics sort of teaches you a lot of other things, and it teaches you how to be around people who aren't pre-meds, for starters, um, which is important. You need to be able to interact with other humans. Um, but, it all, you know, athletics, you know, the old um, general sense of hard work and, you know, sportsmanship and work ethic and all of that stuff um, certainly comes through in athletics. But it also, it also, I think, gives you a sense of what matters to patients. And so... Like now, when I talk to a patient about a musculoskeletal complaint and the answer is, well, you might have to be off it for six weeks. And the, you know, the teenager in front of me says, well, we have districts in a week and I I can't do that. I think if I hadn't done athletics, my sense of empathy of, I know exactly what that feels like of being told that you have to take time off right before something you've been working for, for months, um, you know, I think if I hadn't had that experience to me, that would have been like, well, this patient doesn't care about their health. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you a different perspective. I also, I, I remember the cross country. I also remember, didn't you do a bunch of rural 
Mm-hmm. Uh, weren't you a medical assistant up in Stanley? In Stanley, okay. Idaho. Oh, yes, oh, I was. Such a good memory. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, and it, it's funny. It wasn't. Te- I, I have a hard time now describing to people what the job was because mm-hmm. it wasn't really. It wasn't really a medical assistant. I you know don't have a medical assistant certification. Um, it was an internship offered by the college um, in partnership with the Salmon River Clinic in Stanley. Um, and essentially, students are selected from the college by Dr. Koga. Um, in conjunction with the PA who works at the clinic up there, Amy Klingler. And students spend two summers um, in this rural family medicine clinic. Um, and you really, you see everything. Mm-hmm. You see, um, you know, you see prenatal care. You see pediatrics. You see minor surgery where you're removing chunks of gravel from a kid's arm because he went over the, you know, mm-hmm. front of his handlebars riding down the mountain. Um, you see heart attack. You see... You see everything. Um, the Babies summer, being born? Um, none while I was there. Okay. But but if you go back, now you can do it. Yeah, if I go back, now I can do it. Yeah. I mean, you really see everything. So mm-hmm. it was a great experience. Um, and it's a great it's a great way to figure out, is this what I want to do? Um, so um, in terms of rural medicine and in terms of medicine in general. Yeah, Stanley is it's in the middle of Idaho. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Central Idaho. S- yeah, surrounded by mountains. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. remote. Not, not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of resources, right. but they do have that clinic. Yeah, so. they have the clinic there. Um, it's a, So it's an hour from Sun Valley, three hours from Boise, an hour from Chalice, um, and that there's really nothing in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a small place. I'm, I'm going to spring some questions on you. And sure. I love it. Would you go back to Idaho for your residency? Or you definitely want to go back for as, a, as an attending when you're all done? Or? As an attending, yes. Okay. Um, as a resident, I'm trying to sort of... I'm trying to figure that out. So I've been talking to a lot of interns, especially on medicine. Um, that was really when I sort of started asking people. But um, in general, just, you know, what is the benefit of training in a rural place versus training somewhere with a much higher patient volume mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out. Opposed, unopposed residency mm-hmm, programs. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that, unopposed means that there's only one family residency yes. program, meaning you see all the patients. Uh, opposed means that there's multiple residency programs in different disciplines and mm-hmm. you kind of have to share the load as it were. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Okay. You sort of, um, jump on the pager as quick as, as you can, if mm-hmm. there's, you know, a baby being delivered, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's still, I love living in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad we got you down here. Yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm here as well. Um, but I, I don't know for residency. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, let's see. We got a few more minutes left. Okay. Uh, you have to get back to the clinic. I, yes. I appreciate you coming over here. Yeah. Thanks during for your having lunch me. Hour. Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about some fun stuff. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I exchanged emails with you leading up to this. Yes. So college of Idaho recently got speaking about sports, got mm-hmm. a football team. Yes, they did. Where do you stand on this subject? Cause oh, this, is, this, this is pretty controversial <laughs> it is. for the college of Idaho. It is. Okay. Um, maybe give some background. Okay. Here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, on the one hand, So when when I was in high school, I was in marching band, and it meant that you never really got to you you weren't in the student section for football games. You were, um, you know, and I was I was part of a really strong band program Mm -hmm. um, that I was very lucky to be a member of. But um, you know, everyone else was sort of in the student section and with their friends, and um, you know, you're there in your moderately unflattering uniform. Um, What colors are we talking about? My high school colors were brown and gold. Brown and gold. Yes. That's that's dynamic. <laughs> okay. Um you know, so it was it was a distinctly unglamorous 
um, way to spend football games in mm-hmm. high school, which is sort of, you know, the high school, um, social function kind of of the, of the week at least. Um, and so I never got to be a part of something like that in high school. Um, and then when I went to college, I was a little bit disappointed that, you know, we didn't have a football team. There wasn't, you know, there, there was a basketball team, there was mm-hmm. a volleyball team and those games were certainly big and well attended. Um, but it was a little bit different. I never really had that classic football game, you know, experience. Um, so on the one hand, there's sort of that argument on the other hand, I mean, and that's a, obviously a personal argument. Mm. Um, on the other hand, and I'd need to do some more research on this. I think it's been challenging for the college in terms of admissions, mm-hmm. um, and in terms of admission standards specifically. Mm. Um, and that's something that I find a little disappointing because when I went to the college of Idaho, the, um, the admission standards were pretty rigorous mm-hmm. and the coursework specifically was pretty rigorous. Um, and talking now to people, um, people that I know that still attend or, you know, our current students, um, it sounds like maybe some of the, the coursework demands have changed a little bit. Um, mm. you know, which is problematic in terms of the school. Um, but it's also problematic in terms of the, for the football athletes themselves. Um, because, because I think it's unfair to sort of, you know, generalize that, mm-hmm. well, they're all meatheads when it's like some, they're going to a good school and a lot of them are very aware of that, that mm-hmm. they're, they're at a good school. This is an expense. It's an expensive school. Um, they should be expected to get a good education. I know that this issue has actually was featured in the New York times, yes, which I was. found fascinating that it went college of Idaho all the way to New York times. And I can't speak to the missions, but there is a sense that, you know, any college or university has a finite amount of resources. Mm-hmm. Where do they devote those resources? And the people who say, Oh, we should have sports teams mm-hmm. uh, because it brings school spirit. It ties the community together. It helps with donations. Cause then you start getting donors and boosters and all those fun things. So there's kind of that argument, but the second mm-hmm. argument is like, well, like is this taken away from our core mission? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's just an example of what's going across America. Mm-hmm. Like where do sports factor into higher education? What yes. does that mean? Especially football. Football is like the all encompassing powerful kind of entity. And yes. so it's just interesting to, you know, cause I've known college of Idaho for a number of years. I've known it pre football and post football. I haven't noticed any difference yet, but I do know whenever I run into college of Idaho, uh, alumni, and I just throw this out. It gets them really talking. Yes. Apparently, this is this is the issue. And, it is, and yeah, so it's kind of fun just to kind of muse about it and mm-hmm. think about it. Have you gone back for a football game? I have. Okay, um, cool. And it's, it's a lot of fun, right. um, and it's definitely. Are the colors? What are the colors? Purple and gold. Okay, yeah. so still the gold. Gold, but a still little a lot of gold A little Idaho. better than. Okay. I mean, in my high school's defense, they were the agricultural school, and so the idea was gold for the sun mm-hmm. and brown for the soil. Um, the problem is that when you juxtapose those on a t-shirt it's not as cute Mm. um but going back for the football games it's um it's a wild difference from when i went there so the the grocery store across the street now carries college of idaho um you know school spirit t-shirts and that kind of stuff that they they didn't have when Mm -hmm. i was um attending um the town every friday goes purple for um the yotes and um a yote is a coyote for those of you who don't is is that yeah Oh, that's, that's the mascot. That's the mascot. Okay. Yeah, the coyote. Um, Do they actually call it yote? Yes. Okay. Yeah, everyone, it's the yote. Why did much. they get rid of the kai? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> it flows off the tongue a little right. better, I guess. Um, so there's much more sort of 
community support behind the school mm-hmm. um, that football has definitely brought that wasn't there when I was a student. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean thousands of people weren't coming out for cross country meets? They weren't. Okay. Um, That's too bad. They weren't. Okay. Um, but then on the flip side, it would have been so fast, there was I, nothing to see. It would just been like a, a blur. It, it would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the community really has rallied around the college, I would say more so than in terms of spirit, more so than they had mm-hmm. um, when I was there. Um, but on the flip side, I know a lot of alumni who are very concerned about sort of the academic state of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Where is this heading? Where is this mean mm-hmm, picture? Mm-hmm. What are the standards that mm-hmm. students are being held to? Um, because I know when I was a student there, there, you know, anytime there was um, an, an incident, say, of academic dishonesty, the conversation was always, well, does this person, do we want this person to graduate with a degree from this school having done X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And so the standard of what people wanted, even when I was there, what people wanted a diploma from the college of Idaho to mean, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really what, you know, critics of the football program are concerned about is does an education from C of I still mean the same thing because they want it to mean what it did, which was rigor (laughs) or five, 10 years down the road. If they have X amount of dollars to refurbish the football stadium versus, building a new laboratory for mm-hmm. the biological sciences, mm-hmm. what do you choose? Exactly. Where do you go? That, yeah. Well, and then like, this is the argument that I, and I don't have answers. I'm just musing. I'm just mm-hmm. talking out loud. Like what happens when the football ca- coach makes more money than all the professors on campus? Cause that, I think that's, that horse has already left the barn in most colleges, and universities. Right. I mean, this country. isn't a new yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a new problem. Um, you know, I mean, I think some of that is is sort of culture dependent on the mm-hmm. school, and that sort of that comes down to you know the people the people living that culture and how do they create that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the football the football coaching staff is really pretty bought into that College of Idaho mentality of you know we ex- we expect you know high quality athletic performance, but you're a student mm-hmm. first. Um, I mean, I can't say how many times I heard that phrase when I was a student there. You're a student athlete. Um, so, I mean, some of, you know, some of that is sort of, you've seen this pattern play out all across the country at mm-hmm. hundreds of schools. Um, how do you make the decision to be different? And then how do you carry that out? Well, Elin, we have to wrap it up. But I hope one day that you will be president of the College of Idaho. <laughs> and, oh, man. And this will be your decision. <laughs> that's with, that's a hefty honor. In conjunction with the faculty senate or <laughs> academic advisory board or whatever they call it up there. All right. Cool. Um, well, Elin, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's thanks been great for having me. Catching up, um, and we'll have to have you come back, and you know, after third year's over, and talk about if it is still going to be family medicine or not. Sounds like a plan. All right, thanks, Elin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio online at thescoperadio.com.